ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome in to Hoist the Colors. It's a new week, Monday, January 8th edition of the show. We are back with some fresh programming, fresh off a successful weekend for ECU basketball. We'll get into that. Baseball season gets closer. We'll talk about that as well. It's also the first day of the spring semester over at East Carolina University, so the newest crop of transfers for the football team are in. We'll touch on that as well over the next hour. Looking forward to today's show. We're live, as always, on YouTube and Facebook. If you've got a question, a comment, drop it there. We'll get to it over our next hour. Today's guest in studio, he is Scott Rogers. Scooter, welcome back, man. How's it going? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Do you agree, Philip Bilkington, producer? Yes, I do. It is a very beautiful day. It's a beautiful day after a Pirate men's and women's basketball victory, and uh, I'm excited for another great week in Pirate Athletics. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where very rarely, guys, do we get to celebrate a pirate basketball sweep on the hardwood, men and women. So we got to take advantage of that today, Scooter. Yeah, and two exciting victories, too, with the women having their big comeback against Memphis on Saturday. And then the wouldn't necessarily call it a, a big comeback against Tulsa yesterday, but it was an exciting finish for sure. Let's get into, and we'll go kind of round the horn here with thoughts on both games. And we'll start with the men, as that is freshest on our mind the pirates look it's been a tough up and down start to the year i feel like for mike schwartz's team and they just needed a victory and it wasn't the prettiest victory uh scott's and, and you sit courtside so you get a better uh, vantage point than i do when i'm up in the rafters in 213 on uh, the media perch but it was a uh, a slow start i felt like but they just needed to to find a way to win one of these games they've been so close losing to fau in a final score that was a lot further apart than the game actually was. Playing well at Florida, coming up short there, playing well against South Carolina. So they just needed to finally find a way to win one of these games. So how much do you think this type of win can can kind of carry the Pirates going forward? I think it's big. You know, obviously you get the conference win out of it. But just to, you know, you sit here, you're at 500 in conference play right now, which is huge for this team. And as you said, too, they've had – you know, so many close games as of late. And, you know, South Carolina game, the Florida game. Of course, FAU, you know, obviously the score didn't show how close that game was. And you take out the last five minutes of that game, and East Carolina obviously could have won that game. Not necessarily easily, but they were in a very good spot to do so. And so, you know, those frustrating losses have certainly been building up. And for them to get that win yesterday, a good crowd as well, you know, with it being a late-game heroic to get the victory too is big and hopefully just build some momentum for this team. Philip, you were at the game and you came and visited Media Row. Good to see you, by the way, in your uh, non-working gear. It was, uh, it was it was clear you were enjoying the game. So first off, how did you enjoy it from a fan perspective and then how was it to see the Pirates pulling out? It was really enjoyable. I think it actually since I've been started working here, it's the first time I've ever gone to any sporting event uh, as far as men's basketball 
football or baseball as a fan. So that was really cool. And, yeah, it wasn't the prettiest of wins, but I thought the one thing the Pirates did well was take care of the basketball as well as force turnovers. And that's kind of what Coach Schwartz preaches. So I thought it was a win that was very much what this team models their game after, which was really good to see. You know, unfortunately, there were a lot of shots that didn't go in, especially from downtown. It seems like contested threes were air balls a lot of the times. And there were a few unfortunate things. But overall, it's the kind of game the Pirates are going to have to win to be successful in this conference. Tough, gritty, low-scoring games. They came out victorious and a good way to bounce back after a tough loss last week down in Boca Raton. So Pirates move to 8-7 and seven overall, 1-1 one and one in the American Conference. Brandon Johnson leading the way with 17 points, 9 rebounds. And I tweeted during the game, guys, Brandon Johnson is just such a good basketball player. And I feel like he is quietly on the path to be one of the best ECU players in history. And I don't say that lightly. If you combine his rebounding and his scoring ability, now if he stays here for all of his time and all of his eligibility, I think he can end up being one of those guys. And with the portal, you never know. But, I mean, he just consistently rebounds the ball at a high level. He makes big shots. He gets to the free throw line. I mean, he's just... A great basketball player. Yeah, and, and you know that was expected of him coming into this year with, you know, what he's done his past couple of years here at East Carolina, and you know this is a arguably I would say one of the best big guys in the American this year, and you combine him with Ezra, and you know we've talked about it a little bit. I know Philip said this too, how those two are arguably the best front court in the American when you look at what you've done, what they've done in the past and what we know they can do as well. And so for him to play so well right now is big with the, with conference play starting. And, you know, you mentioned free throw shooting too. I thought that was one of the biggest things that they improved upon coming into yesterday's game because free throw shooting had not been good for this club over the past couple of weeks. And for them, I think they missed maybe one or two yesterday. That obviously was a big difference in yesterday's game. Ezra saw 8 of 10 from the line, and we know last year what he shoot maybe 50%. This year he's closer to 70%, so that's been a big part of his game. He finished with 14 points. Still want to see him hold on to the ball, Scott. He, <laughs> the guy's got, he's got to have the sweatiest hands in college basketball because he's always using the towel, and he's just dropping the ball. Uh I don't know. Like I love Ezra, but he's got to find a way to hold him to the rock. The the ball does seem to fly out of his hands a lot, and you know, as you said, you know, it, it might be too. You know, he plays so aggressive too. You know, it's just one of those things where it happens, and you know, if you're going up so strong and you get one little tick from a uh, defender, it just goes flying. But yeah, it is. It's interesting to see some of the paths that the ball takes when it leaves his hand too. He goes so fast, it's almost like at times, and he does draw a lot of fouls, more than almost any player in America, according to the stats, but he loses the ball a lot. He did get seven big rebounds yesterday. It was good to see him hit the boards. Uh, R.J. Felton finished with 14 points as well. Not his best shooting performance, but five steals. Cam Hayes had eight. Bobby Pettiford had six. Cam Hayes with uh, three steals, two rebounds, four or 14 from the floor. Still waiting for, I think, the Cam Hayes offensive outbreak game, but I thought he looked better yesterday at times. It's just, for me, you can see confidence-wise, he's still trying to find his groove. Yeah, you know, everybody, I know Coach Schwartz had talked about how well he had been playing in practice leading up to the decision made that he was eligible, but, you know, it still takes a lot to get comfortable back in game. And this was a guy, too, you know, when you look at it, had not played in game action in over a year by the time he got back into the rotation for East Carolina, became eligible. And so I still think, you know, 
finding his footing a little bit, still getting comfortable back in game action, but we know what he can do, and it's a matter of just getting that confidence back, I think. No doubt, ECU wins 62-57. to Again, they take on in Temple Wednesday as they hit the road once again, and we're still, I think one of the, and Coach Schwartz said it after the game, not a lot of margin for error for this team right now. Quentin DeBunjay didn't play due to the sprained ankle against FAU. I think he'll still miss a little more time. You only get three bench points, Scott. Now, Tulsa only got two. So this was basically a game of starters. But still, the lack of depth, I think, has hurt this team at times, and it's what I think has, has cost them some of these close games. So, to me, you're going to have to keep relying on this core and then maybe another guy, maybe Jaden Walker, as he gets further back from his hamstring injury, can play more. But it's just been a struggle to find depth right now. It has. And, you know, you know, Walker is a guy coming off the bench last year that was so good for this team, especially towards the end of the year. And you still have guys like you have Caleb Account who's playing a lot. You have now Ben Baella who played yesterday for the first time in a while. And so you get some of those guys. One of those has got to step up. And, yes, it's going to be, you know, LeCount is playing very hard, you know, with his size. That's obviously the the biggest difference from him, especially in conference play. But a guy like Baella is going to have to step up. Jaden Walker, we know, can step up. And then you still have got guys like Pinedo that – you know, he goes out there, he plays so hard, he has some unfortunate things happen when he's in the game, but there's still guys out there, but someone has got to step up off of this bench, especially with the injuries. I want to see, I want to see a true five, number, a second five emerge, whether that be Sear or Callum. I think we need somebody behind Ezra to be successful. And is there any injury update I go on Callum Richard? <laughs> no. Uh, I'll i tell you what we have the Mike Schwartz show tonight. Uh, tiebreakers or inside ECU athletics. I will ask. This is we, we talked about occasion last week, Philip and Scott, and I were talking about off the air earlier. This has been the weirdest year of just personnel disappearing. So Callum Richard on December twentieth, I believe, was the Delaware State game. He left. The, he played the first half. Wasn't on the bench after halftime. Kaysen asked after the game. Coach Schwartz said he got sick. Well, here we are on January 7th, yesterday's game, and he still is not able to play. So, And he looks fine. He looks fine. So, like, he's on the bench. So, I don't know. We'll ask Coach Schwartz. Baela reappeared yesterday from the wild. He made a big three. By the way, what a sequence in transition as he got the steal. Fake, fake, fake. Pop-up three. Nailed it. That was his only shot attempt of the game and ended up being a big three. But, uh... Yeah, it's just been a weird year. And I know Coach Schwartz has got to be frustrated, guys, because there's been no continuity to the lineup, really. Mm-hmm. Even like Danny Battle and Brandon Johnson missed games, and, and it took him a while to get back into it, too. Right. And, and you still, you know, would see her Malonga. He, he just is, didn't even play yesterday. Right. And then the game before that, what was our last home game before yesterday? Uh, the East Tennessee State yeah. game. He comes in for that game and plays maybe five minutes, and that was towards the end of the second half. It was and just he kind started of, at FAU, right? It was just kind of it's just been a weird year for Malonga, and this is a guy too that you know leading up to that East Tennessee State game, especially before Christmas, the guy that was getting some pretty good minutes and was playing good. He was getting better every single game. It was fun to watch him get better too, and then he just loses this his minutes almost. It's just been kind of a weird weird way with the um, with the rotation of this team. I would like to I agree though, Philip. I would like to see Sierra Malonga develop more, but he's got to play more to develop and, and Coach Schwartz has said too a lot of that is dictated by practice. But 
you know, I just I think his upside is worth playing through some of the painful moments maybe that you have to deal with that we see from other guys. All right, let's switch gears here. Women's basketball, they win a big one at Memphis, 64-63. So I was kind of in and out of this game watching my two kids on TV. This was a crazy game. ECU led big early, and then I went to go, I think, get my kid up from a nap, and I checked the score. They were down like 10 or close to that in the final minute. So I was like, well, this is going to be a tough loss. Uh, yeah, they were down 61-52 at 3.43 to go. They go on a 9 run to tie the game. Memphis hits a layup with 107 to go to take the lead. And then ECU gets a free throw and then a possession with 15 seconds left to Nate McNeil with the go-ahead layup. And then the Pirates get two stops. They win 64-63 at Memphis. Road conference win, Scott Rogers. I don't think Memphis is the best this year, but you'll take it every time. Road conference win, don't matter who it is, you no take doubt. it. And, and, you know, this is the team, too, for for getting a road win right now with all the injuries that team has had is big for them. Losing Micah Dennis against South Carolina was, was very tough, and that's someone who is a leader of this team who has ran your point pretty much, you know, since she got here, especially good part of last season, too, and, it's frustrating because of the injuries that team has had. You know, and and you look at what this team has had to do. You know, we mentioned it during our broadcast against the against South Carolina at a time against the number one team in the country. I believe there was four freshmen on the floor against them, and that was in the first half. That was when East Carolina was still sort of in that game too. And and should that shows how deep they're having to go in their bench right now. But it's good because the freshmen they have are good players. Karina Gordon is, is having a really good stretch right now. You still got Kaya Miller, who's still adjusting to the college game right now. She's going to be a really good player, too. But another thing that's helped this club so much right now is the Weiss sisters, how good they're playing right now. This, those two still leading up until about this week, on last week, honestly. They were still trying to figure some things out, get used to East Carolina, but now they're really starting to score the basketball well. They're not fouling as much either, and so if those two are playing well, it's, it's going to be a really good rotation for this team. And, you know, if they can stave off that injury bug the rest of the year, it'd be fun to watch them. Yeah, we know Sania Johnson will be out the rest of the year, senior guard, with a leg injury. Has there been any formal update on Micah Dennis, or is it just kind of wait and see right now? I haven't necessarily heard a formal formal update on her, but she is she's got a big old brace on yeah. her knee, and so I, I looking at her, I would not think she would play the rest of the year. Right. Okay. And and it, that's two senior guards that you're counting on. I mean, those, those those are big blows. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's not even mentioning Jayla Herp, yep. who was who's been out all year after tearing her ACL last year in the conference title game. And so that's a lot of talent sitting on this bench right now that is not playing due to injury, but. Like I said, you still got some good players that have stepped up off of the bench, which you know that's that's huge for this club. And we knew going into the year that the women's team was going to be deep, and I think the men's team struggling with that. The women's team able to overcome some of these injuries because of the depth. Like Kaya Miller, two for two, six points from the field, and I know again freshman, but she's making some plays. Karina Gordon as well has shot the ball well. She had two more threes at Memphis in 31 minutes. Also had three steals. So. For me, like you've got talent, and they're developing that talent. You mentioned the Weiss twins; they've been big as well. Danae McNeil has been steady, so it's just I think they have the depth to withstand this. It's just a matter of how much of the injuries maybe limit their ceiling, so to speak. Right, and you know they had gotten used to playing with Sania. They had gotten used to playing with Micah this year, and then you know both of them go down pretty much in back-to-back games, and so. 
you still got to get used to playing with this rotation now with with the freshmen in there. But this is a uh, team that I still think, because looking at the American right now, women's-wise, it's it's wide open. You know, South Florida, who's been really good in the past, is not as good as they have been. And so you take them kind of out of that number one spot automatically, this league is is wide open right now. Yeah, I was looking at their next opponent. ECU will welcome UAB to town on Wednesday at 6 o'clock. UAB having a solid year. They are off to an 11-4 and start in women's basketball, 2-1 and in conference play. They did, uh, they did beat FAU and Memphis, but are coming off a 91-69 loss to Charlotte. So they'll have a second straight road game at ECU on Wednesday. So again, that'll be a six o'clock tip off. Pirates will then go to Tulane on January 13th, this coming Saturday. And then they're back for another education day, Rice, January 17th, 11 a.m. And that will be carried on 94 through the game. So you'll be on the call with Matt, or, uh, Coach Maloney. Yep. So, how much have you enjoyed? How much have you enjoyed kind of calling some women's games this year, and uh, you know getting to work with Coach Maloney calling some of these games? It's fun, you know. You know, everybody looks at me kind of as the baseball guy, but you know, we're doing these five women's games with Playflies deal with Interbanks Media, and it's fun. You know, I love doing basketball. It's especially when you're doing it for a good team like East Carolina has been. You know, when we started last year, it was fun doing those games, getting to go to the NCAA tournament last year and do the game against Texas. But we know when you're working with a, with a color guy like Rob Baloney, who's so good at what he does, and this is a guy that's only been doing it since last year, uh, but so much basketball knowledge. You know, he was such a good coach at DH Conley when he was coaching now. He's in the county AD role with Pitt County Schools, but it's so much fun doing basketball and, and working with him. Of course, ever since I asked Rob about the Pittsburgh Steelers, they have not lost, and now they're in the playoffs somehow. Uh, so good for him, and uh, you guys will carry the game on January 17th, also scheduled to carry February 1st against Tulsa and February 21st against USF on 94-3 the game here at the flagship station of the Pirates. All right, let's get a break in. We'll come back. We'll switch gears. I'll have a transfer update on football, and then we'll also talk some baseball. We'll get into the uh, the diamond a little bit. Maybe we'll go around the diamond and kind of preview some position battles who to watch. Media Day will be here before we know it. I think we are two weeks away from today uh, from Media Day, per my conversations with Chip Welch. So it'll be here before you know it, ECU Baseball. Let's get a break in. This is Hoist the Colors on a Monday. Here there be pirates. Back to Hoist the Colors with Steve and I go. How good is this on 94.3 The Game? All right, welcome in to Hoist the Colors. Welcome back in Monday, January 8th edition of the show. Again, we're live on YouTube and Facebook. A couple of notes here. We're going to dive into a baseball discussion with Scott Rogers here in a second. And I uh, wanted to first update. So today is the first day of classes over at ECU. We've heard, you know, obviously we had Mike Houston on last week. We've been reporting on the transfer portal. East Carolina, we've got nine incoming transfer commitments listed on hoistacolors.net. Per my understanding, they were all in the team meeting last night, all started classes today. Of course, ECU added Andrew Wilson-Lamp, the cornerback commit from West Virginia, also Kayshawn Sapp, Florida State O-line commitment last week, adding to a list that also includes Darius Bell, offensive lineman from Maine, Raheem Craig, edge rusher from Louisville, Omega Blake, Receiver Anthony Smith, receiver Winston Wright Jr., receiver Caden Hauser is confirmed on campus, moved in this weekend, quarterback from Michigan State. Damian Wilson, 
linebacker from Missouri. So all those players are in. And also, we've got some guys who, from my understanding, are going to make decisions in the coming days. You'll probably see them pop up with commitments and should be in school by the end of this week or start of next week. So stay tuned to Hoist the Colors for that. Big news from outgoing transfers. Gerald Green following Raekwon Boyette, former running backs coach to Troy. Antoine Jackson, of all places to go, ends up at UCF. You know, he tweeted out a bunch of offers. I was somewhat skeptical of them, but he ends up going to UCF. I heard he did want to get back closer to home. His family wanted him closer to home, but interesting landing spot, landing spot there, Scooter. Very much, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he's still 17 right he now. Yes, he is still 17. And, and I would yeah. say that he's still got uh, maybe some some maturing to do, I would say. Uh when I was 17, I definitely was not making the decision that he was. He is right now. I would have but, no uh, idea what to do. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I would say it's definitely a tough situation. You obviously don't know what's going on. You know, maybe behind closed doors with some people, family situations, and everything. But uh, that is a talent that hate to lose. But hey, you lose one, you pick up another. No doubt. The Pirates again add Andrew Wilson Lamp, and I think they they're close to getting a, a couple of other corners as well. Uh, Taekwon King, who left the team midseason, he goes to Temple, so he is an American Athletic Conference transfer. Richard Pierce, former starting offensive lineman, he has transferred to New Mexico. Uh, let's see here if anybody else announced. Yeah, uh, Tegan Wilk announced he's going to Houston, so he joins Willie Fritz. So good for Tegan. So those are kind of your transfer updates. Again, we'll have more news on that. Also, broadcasting notes. Tomorrow we'll have Hank Hinton. Uh, obviously from Interbanks Media with a Team Boneyard update. He'll be in here Tuesday. We'll have Bobby Harward on Wednesday. Thursday, we are scheduled to have Savon Revel, ECU cornerback, in as part of a uh, NIL deal with Team Boneyard for an interview. You know, our members of Hoist the Colors raised some money for a couple of guys on the team, and uh, we'll start that process with Savon Revel on Thursday. Uh, let's go ahead and get to our Pirate of the Week, and then we'll talk... Okay, we'll hold on Pirate of the Week, and uh, we will go with uh, some baseball talk as Philip Pilkington is pulling up our Pirate of the Week. <laughs> False alarm, guys, my bad. Uh, all right, Scott Rogers, ECU baseball starts. Very soon. Very soon. I guess, is today 40 days? I want to say I saw that somewhere. Around that mark, February 16th is the opening day. How ready are you to be back on the call inside Clark and Clare Stadium? Very ready. It's, uh, you know, you're getting kind of into the crunch time right now. Almost a month away. You said media day is quickly approaching. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to get back. Can't believe this is year number three already behind That's the mic crazy. coming up. Well, hopefully you have another regional to call. It'd be nice to call another home regional, right? It would be. It would be. And, you know, it's kind of funny. You know, not funny, but it's cool to say that, you know, every team that I've done at East Carolina has ended up in the NCAA tournament, if you include women's basketball last year. Maybe you're the good luck charm. Hey, we'll see. Scott Rogers for football play-by-play. That way the Pirates can go to the playoff. How about that? I mean, that'll work. I think everybody would take that trade <laughs> for sure. Uh, East Carolina. uh have we? I don't think we talked about the schedule officially. Like we both kind of knew the schedule, but now we know it for sure. Scott, maybe we have discussed it. I don't know, but either way, I feel like it's a pretty balanced schedule. 
we were talking before, like the series at Liberty, non-conference wise, I think will be good. It'd be good to see Liberty get back to being a regional team. It would be, you know, that's a that's a very quality road series to play, and you know, obviously from an RPI perspective, that's a huge series for East Carolina. You know, you go up there and you win two of those three, get a sweep. That's huge heading into conference play. And, you know, this, I've told a lot of people this with the schedule this year. You know, some people look at it and go, oh, my gosh, you know, we're playing Ryder to start or we're playing southeastern Louisiana. Well, hey, Ryder went down, was the fourth seed in the Conway Regional last year, beat Coastal Carolina in the opening day or opening on opening day of that regional. You have southeastern Louisiana, who's a good program, has been really good in the past. Of course, you have... Cal State Fullerton coming in for the LeClaire as well with Jason Dietrich out there now. He's building that program back to what it used to be. Uh, you know, another one with Columbia. Columbia pretty much year in and year out wins the Ivy League. And so this is not a, you know, some people would say a cupcake schedule at all. This is a, this is a daggone good non-conference schedule this year. And it's going to be tough. A lot of these games are going to be tough for East Carolina. Are you looking forward as the play-by-play guy to to venture into some new territory? Are you excited to go to Roadrunner Field? Um, or Bo- well, you got to be excited to go to Boca. Boca well, Raton. let's just say this: I have been relayed information that the UTSA and Florida Atlantic broadcast. I know for sure UTSA. I will be sitting in the bleachers because their press box is not big enough. For visiting radio. Uh, it's tough. So uh, if we have a Florida thunderstorm during that uh, Boca series, um, we might be off the air for a little bit because I'm not going to be on the hook for about five grand of uh, radio equipment thanks to a team not having a press box big enough for me to sit in. Boca Raton in early April, you're probably going to get some rain showers. I would bet money there would be. UTSA, San Antonio in late March, I feel like you're you're probably going to be good there. As far it's as either going to be hot or it's going to be freezing probably right. in that series. That'll be interesting. ECU also scheduled to take on Memphis on the road in conference play and Tulane. And uh, New Orleans is always a fun place to visit, but definitely their baseball stadium is, is awesome. It is. You know, Turchin Field is a uh, really good stadium. Uh, the only thing about that place is their windows don't open. Is there any press box. visiting press box that's good in baseball? Um, Honestly, we don't get to go there anymore. Cincinnati was my favorite from, really? from years past. That is a It's a double-decker booth. Uh, really nice windows, very spacious. It's a very, very nice one. And we go to, uh, UNC has a very nice booth as well. You know, you're pretty much right behind home plate. You're Good so, view. so high up, I feel like. Are yeah, you all the same spot we are? Yeah, yeah same level. Yeah. Very, Boschmer is very high up. Um, but yeah, there's some really good ones out there. NC State's another one that's very nice and roomy. That's, and the biggest thing that I always look at, the most important, is internet. Philip knows this. You gotta have a good yeah, internet. Yes. <laughs> Cause yeah. if there's no internet, we're not on the air. <laughs> exactly. Hey, so what's the worst press box? Uh, by far, the worst, well, worst view is the Durham Bulls athletic it park. It is, is bad. Cause you are sitting, I'm sitting dead even with first base looking towards second. That is our view. The worst one, I've been to before we go to UTSA uh, is Old Dominion because I am from me to you right now. You're the PA announcer, and I'm sitting next to him. Wait, it was worse than than Elon because Elon last year was Elon's. Elon's not too bad to me. Uh, You're in the same. It's all one room, but you Old Dominion is by far the worst one I've been in, just from a space standpoint 
and uh, just everything. Like there's there's not a spot for a visiting SID there either. So you either have to sit outside or you're just yeah. out of luck. The one time I covered a game at Bud Matheny Ballpark, which I think is the name. Yep. Uh, they had a little table designated outside for me, and I just walked around the whole time. Yep. So if that if that is a cold weather or rainy game, I will not go. Now we'll give them credit; they are fundraising for a new new stadium good. there, and they're it's very close to it. Good, much needed. So this year, the UNC Saturday game is at Segra Stadium, Fayetteville. Are you a fan of that? I like it. Yeah, yeah, it was a uh, it was a nice ballpark last year. That was a fun uh, fun trip when we played Campbell last year. I uh, was worried that game wasn't going to get in. I believe it was raining that day. That's right. Last year, but that was a fun trip last year, and that was a. Uh, I know everybody's going to be asking, "Is that game is on TV or not?" But as you know, we will always have you covered on the ECU Sports Network. Ninety four three, the game. It's already listed on the schedule. There you go. Uh, let's see. So you haven't been to Liberty before, so we'll see what that stadium is like. I assume, right, you haven't been to Liberty. I have not been to Liberty. I've seen pictures of their stadium. It's very nice, some pictures. Brooks Field. Everybody's kind of crammed into the press box at UNCW. Right? I like going there. Yeah. It, is, it is cramped. Um, the, you know, we, East Carolina, you know, for whatever it is, we never, never play there. Play good there, I should say. It's just one of those places that it's tough to play, but it's always a, I always enjoy going to UNCW. All right, we are we're, somehow this has turned into a stadium, uh, <laughs> stadium conversation. Review. Russ Walker says, first off, he said, did Lucas Thompson show up? Lucas Thompson still has not shown up. We're still waiting his arrival at ECU for football. Uh, Kaysen Romaley says, it's time for some good ball. I'm done with bad ball. I assume he is saying baseball is good ball and basketball is bad ball. Well, he went to go to the, he went to the Panthers game yesterday. Yeah, he made the decision to take in some bad ball yesterday. I'm just glad he's awake. That is true. Kaysen is awake before 1 p.m. Russ Walker says, also looks like a cold February. He says the UTSA Stadium is a joke. So another vote in favor of UTSA being a joke. How do you like Clearwater and uh, Bay Care Ballpark? Clearwater is amazing. That is the best trip ever. I still have never gone on that trip just because ECU is always going to be at a regional and I can't. You know, really, like, it's always just for seating more Mm -hmm. than anything for ECU. So they're not playing. They're playing for a championship, but like, really, what difference does it make? The only thing is the 9 a.m. game in Clearwater is very brutal if you're a broadcaster really? because the sun is right in your eyes. I remember last year there was a fly ball to the right. I never saw it. I thought the ball went out of play as a foul ball, and next thing I know they're running in after making a catch. That's how blinding the sun is at 9 a.m. there. But, you know, you I think that's a minor league, not a minor league ballpark, but that's a spring training home. And so you're in, you know, major league quality press box up there. Uh, you know, and that's one thing I said last year. Like, think of the people that could have been in this booth that we right. sit in. It's, it's very cool to realize that. But, yeah, the whole trip, Clearwater-wise, from playing at – at the Philly Stadium down there to to where we stay on the beach and in, in Clearwater Beach, it's just it's an awesome place for a tournament. And, and you know, I, I know a lot of people complain about it not being close to Greenville, but for for these student athletes and everybody that's a part of this club to go down there and enjoy that week is is huge, especially for the student athletes. And it's always best when ECU wins and stays in the winners bracket, and you guys get days off a whole week down there. Yep, yes. exactly. All right, you said last year Wichita was pretty good, right? It was, other yeah. than uh, just the whole trip the whole in trip. general. But right. it was very cold there. But yes, that is that is a it's an older it's an older ballpark, but it was built at the, when Wichita State was in that prime of you know being in the College World Series every single year, and so it's very nice for it being an older ballpark. 
All right, last question, then we'll get a break in. More of a broadcasting question. How much do you enjoy or dislike all the dead time in baseball versus like basketball? And then how do you how do you try to kill that time? One of my favorite things to do is yeah, Jeff Charles actually taught me this uh, my very first year is you know really dig into or try to dig in as much as you can to kind of the past of players. You know you know do they have any you know family members that played you know professional sports or played in college or anything like that and just try to find some some neat stories like that to talk about in the dead time you know i i've that was one thing that i wanted to do anyway and for him to tell me that it was like okay well now this is legit if he's telling me that uh but yeah doing stuff like that you know i, I love talking about ballparks as well as we're doing right now you know doing some research on where these team plays because you know as as we mentioned there's a lot of older ballparks we play in that have a lot of history like Wichita State and so filling airtime with that is is really a cool thing because you get the kind of you explain the the history of a lot of ballparks and explain kind of the the history of some of these players too in their backgrounds. Scott Rogers, he's coming to a baseball stadium near you starting February 16th. He'll be at Clark and Claire when ECU takes on Ryder. All right, let's get a break in. We'll come back. We'll talk about the actual baseball team. We'll do Pirate of the Week as well on the other side. This is Hoist the Colors on a Monday. All right, let's go. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Iko. the game. All right, welcome back in. Hoist the Colors on this Monday. I'm still battling the world's longest sinus infection. I've had this thing since December 27th. Maybe I'm just not healthy. I don't know. If anybody has any tips out there how to get rid of this thing, please let me know. Bourbon. I might have to go that route. <laughs> Unfortunately, I can't do it until I'm off the air. Yeah, but I heard you got some for Christmas. So. I did. I did. That's true. Uh, somebody in this vicinity. Anonymous source. Anonymous source <laughs> handed it to me. Uh, I'll have to take uh, partake in that. Maybe I already have. Uh, we'll have to see. Championship game tonight is another good excuse to, uh, to crack the bottle open. All right. Guys, we got to do our uh, Pirate of the Week. We talked about him earlier. It is Brandon Johnson, ECU Ford. Just a, a, a good basketball player. 17 points, 9 rebounds. I'm going to read off to y'all what Brandon Johnson has done over the last handful of games. So last night, 17-9 and nine against FAU, 15-10 and 10 against ETSU, 19-9 and nine against Delaware State, 13-15 and 15 against Florida, 12-10. and 10. Against South Carolina, ten and eight. Against Maryland Eastern Shore, fifteen and ten. Against UNCW, eighteen and eleven. That's a pretty impressive run there, and it continues on and on. He now for the season, thirteen games is averaging fourteen point eight points, nine point two rebounds per game. Brandon Johnson, he is our East Coast Agency Pirate of the Week, leading East Carolina to a sixty-two fifty-seven win. Over Tulsa on Sunday, East Coast Agency is excited to announce the opening of their office in Greenville, North Carolina. Call Drew Moeller at 252-341-8818. Remember, it doesn't matter who your agent is until it does. Thanks again, ECA, East Coast Agency, Tim Vliet, for his support of Voice the Colors and Interbanks Media 94.3. The game. All right, guys, baseball. We talked about it. We were supposed to talk about some position battles. Instead, we talked about stadiums and broadcast booths. Um, so let's get into some of the, the key position battles here. We'll, we'll start at first base. So we are scheduled 
to have on this preseason and throughout the season, Cam Clunch and Carter Cunningham as part of our broadcasting uh, Team Boneyard deal. And it sounds like both of them are going to start off playing first base. Of course, we know Carter can play some outfields. So how do you kind of look at that battle shaping up and, and maybe kind of the competition there? I think it's going to be a good battle because you've got two two players that I would say are pretty similar, and especially in terms of offense. They're both power bats. Uh, you know, they're both clutch hitters, especially, especially Quanch with some of his pinch hit opportunities that he's had over the past two he just years. Just puts up tough ABs. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and Coach O is, it, Coach O will tell you this too, how he's always said that Cam Quanch is, has been one of the best defensive first basemen for this team the past couple of years too. And so, you know, this is, I think it'll be a good battle at first base. And, you know, whether it's Quanch, or Cunningham winning that, especially if it's Quanch, you still got Cunningham who could DH. You could play him in right field. And so you've got some versatility there with Carter Cunningham and, and still with Quanch because you still got the versatility of using him as a DH too. Both Jeff Palumbo and uh, Coach Austin Knight have said, and we had him on before Christmas, that Dixon Williams had one of the best offseasons of any player in the program. Russ Walker on YouTube says, he says Chaz Myers versus Dixon Williams could be a position battle to watch at third. Also, we saw the freshman Colby Wallace play some third. So I think third base could be a position, too, that's kind of up for grabs, although we've seen Dixon definitely have the bats. My, my whole question with Dixon has always been, where is he going to fit best defensively? So what are you kind of hearing on where Dixon could fit in in that third base competition? I think third base is kind of where they've been working him the most, uh, especially in the fall, had a, had, as as they said, he had a really good fall, you know, both defensively and hitting. And I think if he continues that, I think he he will be really good at third base this year. And and this is a guy too that has has doesn't have a ton of experience playing in that spot. Um, you know, he was primarily a second baseman when he was at Conley in high school. But you know, he's he's worked really hard at that position, especially last year, adjusting to it. Got some got some reps there during the season last year, but. You know, I, I think that Dixon probably will be your, your starting third baseman, uh, just strictly what off uh, what we saw in the fall this year. Chaz Myers is a right-handed hitter, so I feel like, based on what we saw in the in the fall, the fact he can hit for power and hit from the right side, you would think he could be a guy that can maybe help balance out the lineup too. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, we talk about depth so much. We we're talking about depth with basketball earlier. Depth in baseball is huge. Too, you know, especially with with positions like that, because now you have an option. Okay, well, you get in a late game situation, you know, righty to come in. Okay, he can come in and hit. Well, hey, he's still pretty good at third base too. You still got a good defensive replacement to come in for those late innings. And so I think that having someone like that who's a right-handed hitter or a left-handed hitter, you know, in Dixon Williams, that gives you a lot of options, especially late game situations offensively. I put up Jacob Jenkins Cowart's stats from the past two years. And again, he he didn't have a bad last year. He hit 294, nine home runs, 45 RBIs. I mean, that is a solid year for a lot of people. His slugging percentage did drop a little bit. He also had the injury. He mm-hmm. missed some time. So, you know, average went from 330 to 294. He was a marked man last year. And I think at times, you know, that I don't want to say it got to him, but it definitely made a difference in terms of how teams pitched to him. So what do you think is the, I guess, the key for JJC to kind of become the like the real number one power hitter in this lineup? Maybe he doesn't need to be that, but if he can become that guy, 
and maybe make that jump to the guy who we think he can be. Like, what's kind of the key for JJC there? Yeah, and I think you know a lot of it is is kind of going back to what he did in that freshman year was, you know, go out there with a chip on your shoulder. You know, obviously he didn't have anything to prove that freshman right. year. Not necessarily saying that he has that this year at all, but go out there kind of with that same mindset he had with his freshman year and play so well and. And it's like you said, it's not that he had a bad year last year. Yeah, his numbers were a little bit down from his freshman year, but as you see in a lot of sports, especially baseball, it happens sophomore year to a lot of players. And so adjusting to that, and, you know, Cliff Godwin preaches this all the time about ignoring the outside noise. You know that the uh, the draft conversations are going to be coming up all year with him. And so trying to keep that out of the perspective, I think, is another thing, and just focus on playing college baseball this year. What do you make of the catching situation? Clearly, Justin Wilcoxon is back. I know he missed some time in the fall. Ryan McChrystal sounded like he had a really good fall. So what is McChrystal's role? And then also the freshman, Walker Barron, has, has gotten some pretty good hype as well. So what do you kind of make of that? As I mentioned, at third base, you, you, you got depth. Yeah. And that's that's the biggest thing. And, you know, it's it's so good because, you know, like we said, too, you know, McChrystal can DH if you need him to. If if, if he's the one catching, Wilcoxon can DH. If you need him to. And, and I think, you know, more than likely it will be Will Coxon back there just from that experience perspective and how good, I mean, and, and that was a good guy behind the plate last year, yeah, especially in clutch solid. moments. Um, it, I think he will probably be your, your starting catcher just because of that, but it still gives you that depth behind the plate because if Will Coxon gets hurt, you know, hopefully that does not happen, but you, you have a quality person to go to back there and Ryan McChrystal. And also like the fact you've got a third catcher so that way you can DH. Right. You can DH McChrystal and not be worried about, all right, if something happens to Wilcoxon, we could put Walker in and not lose the DH. Yeah, especially in in, in nothing against Nick DeLisi or anything last year, but he certainly was was still adjusting more than a lot of freshmen do to that college game. And I think Walker Barron based off of what we've heard is a little bit more ahead of Nick DeLisi this year as a freshman, and so you don't have necessarily that worry of putting a freshman back there like you would have in the past. We've talked about Carter Cunningham, who we know can play outfield at JJC, or JC as he prefers, can play outfield as well. Bristol Carter, the freshman, looked really good in the fall. Uh, Riley Johnson missed the fall but should be back. Luke Nowak is back. He has some freshmen as well. How do you kind of see this outfield shaping up? Outfield's going to be fun to watch this year, you know, especially with Jenkins Cowart more than likely in right field. Uh, you know, you still got Luke Nowak, as you said, but I think, you know, overall, I, I'm really excited to see Bristol Corner play. You know, we've seen what the numbers that he put up in high school and, of course, the you know, rumored amount of money that he turned down to go pro out of high school because he wanted to be a pirate so bad. I think that says a lot about him and what type of person he is, how bought in he is to this program. And so this is the guy that, you know, next year, maybe towards the end of this year, this is going to be a leader, I think, of this program in the next year or so. And I think it's going to be it's going to be really fun to watch him in the outfield this year and in his first year as a pirate. He's got all the... I think he's got not only the physical tools, but the mental tools. He's got mm-hmm. the right makeup that fits the ECU mentality. All right, let's get our final break in. We'll come back. We'll talk pitching to wrap up this Monday edition of Hoist the Colors. Hey, what's happening, man? What's happening? Tell me. What's happening? Every ECU fan's one stop for all things ECU athletics. This is Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. 
All right, welcome back into Hoist the Colors on this Monday, wrapping things up. Scott Rogers, it's been a fun hour. We've talked basketball. We've talked broadcast booths, opposing stadiums. Now we're talking baseball. We talked some football transfer news as well. Let's talk pitching. we got about three minutes left. It's going to start and end with Trey Savage and Zach Root. And you got to feel pretty good when that's your one-two punch on paper. Absolutely. You know, with, with everybody knows what Trey Savage can do and the accolades he's already getting preseason wise. But Zach Root with the, the way he finished his freshman year showed that he could be in that starting rotation. You know, he proved that that I, even though we lost the game, what he did against UVA last year, he just looked like game. a dude. Yeah, exactly. And so you looking at them on paper and having them one, two in that starting rotation more than likely, that's arguably one of the best one, two punches in college baseball this year. Zach Root, when he was out there touching 95-96 as a freshman at the end of the season against UVA and pitching unintimidated, right. just going right after Kyle Steele and those guys, Geloff, I'm like, this guy is going to be a stud. Exactly. And now he's just got to you know, find that consistency. Mm-hmm. So when I had Austin Knight on, I kind of asked about Sunday candidates. I may be leaving somebody out, but I know he mentioned Chris Kaler, George Washington transfer, Jake Hunter. He also mentioned Eric Ritchie, who I think is going to end up in the bullpen, but has added some pitches this offseason. Also, uh, let's see, Ethan Norby, the freshman. And then, he, you know, Wyatt Lunsford Sigmund has been mentioned, but I think they want to keep him in the bullpen as well. But the good news is you got some options there. I kind of have a feeling it'll be Kaler or maybe Hunter, but what are your, what's kind of your handicap on the Sunday situation? Yeah, I mean, those three is what I've been telling people, you know, Kaler, Hunter, and Ethan Norby yeah. have and with what Ethan Norby did in the fall, that kind of proved, hey, this is a guy that legitimately could be in the rotation as a freshman. But I think, you know, from an experience standpoint, you know, you look at what Chris Kaler did at George Washington last year was their Friday arm. I mean, he shoved it against us yeah. last year on opening day for I think five or six innings. And then of course Jake Hunter, you know, when we talk about the consistency thing, when Jake Hunter is at his best, he's really good. Uh, but either one of those three guys, I think, will end up getting that spot. Uh, and, and all three of those are, are quality arms to have in that start, Sunday starting role. And then a lot of college baseball with the bullpen is kind of f- just figuring out how it kind of unfolds early mm-hmm. in the year. I guess the good news is you do have, you know, we talked about it, Wyatt Lunsford, Shinkman, and Danny Bill. Back is kind of two proven guys. You add Aaron Grohler, transfer from Seton Hall. And then you've got several new arms along with Eric Ritchie and a couple others returning. So it should be interesting just kind of how the bullpen unfolds. Yeah, and, you know, majority-wise it is newer arms from that bullpen this year, but you still have got, you know, as you mentioned, Ritchie and Bill. you still got Lunsford Shankman, and those three were arms that got a lot of innings for East Carolina last year. And so, you know, you still have got some of that, you know, older older players down there that have a lot of experience. But, uh yeah, I mean, it's shaping up to be a, a decent year pitching-wise, and you know, especially from the starting pitching role. No doubt it'll be interesting early in the season. It's always fun to see how the roles develop. Scott, this was fun, man. Appreciate the time on today's show. Well, I know that baseball is here. We'll have you on, probably try to get you on weekly in season and definitely leading into the year. So looking forward to it, man. Sounds like a plan. Absolutely. He is Scott Rogers. You can hear his call. All season long, 94 through the game, who also be called selected women's basketball games as well. Thanks to his time today on the program. Appreciate Philip, Philip Pilkington behind the scenes as well, dialing up the graphics, changing things on the fly, doing his thing on Monday's show.
Tomorrow we'll have Hank Hinton, managing partner with Interbanks Media, also board member of Team Boneyard, in to give us an update on the NIL front for ECU with football specifically. This has been Hoisted Colors. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 12 noon. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Do 